0: Treats were gone by the next day, but I did share them with others. Uh, The point of the faith stories, and this one got a little cobbled up in the presentation, but is to share with you how people at South are uh, serving the Lord with their gifts and uh, so thankful for the greatest gift, the gift of Christ to us. And I trust that that's going to be an encouragement to you. So let's pray. Father, we come now into your presence today with gratitude. We realize that we deserve deserve nothing but punishment and yet you give us mercy by holding it back and you give us grace by the gift of Christ which we don't deserve. And even this opportunity to meet Perhaps in the taking away of such an opportunity, there is more joy in the receiving of it back again. And even though, Lord, our situation is not normal, we do pray that you will, in a very unusual way, meet with us and reveal yourself to us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The disciples of Jesus Christ were often surprised by what he did. We may miss that in our reading through the Gospels, but as you take a little more time to think about their station in life and think about the surroundings they were in and where they were going and what he was saying, I think they were often shocked. They were shocked by his power. They were surprised By his compassion, even to those that most people thought shouldn't receive the wonderful kindness and love of God. And one such story comes to us out of the Gospel of Luke. This is chapter 17 and we read in verse 11 that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and his disciples were with him and they were traveling along the border road. Between the Galilee, which is in the north, and the land of Samaria, which is in the middle, and of course Judea is in the south. Most roads travel north and south from one section to another. But the land of Samaria was forbidden territory to many Jews. So when they hit the border, they would either make a beeline east or west. And the most common road was to go east to the Jordan River. And follow that Jordan River Valley all the way down to Jericho and then go west into the city of Jerusalem. Now Jesus didn't always do what people thought he would do. So my take on this is they just came to the border road and it's at this place between the two lands where something unusual happened. The Bible tells us that As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood a distance from him and called out with a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus was constantly teaching his disciples, and some of his best lessons came on the road. They were in the normal occurrences or unusual occurrences of life. And in Luke chapter 17, he was teaching his disciples some very vital lessons for life, like forgiveness in the early part of the chapter, and faithfulness and thankfulness. It's interesting, as we come to this story, this lesson on the road, and we see these ten lepers, we find some things that are very similar. The story contains three striking similarities among these ten. And the first one is this, they all had the same disease, leprosy. Now, in some of your translations, it may simply talk about some type of skin disease and it doesn't specify exactly which one because this particular word covered many different ones, but perhaps the worst of that day was this thing called leprosy. Now Samaritans and Jews didn't get along very well, but if you had leprosy it didn't make any difference. The noble birth makes no difference if you're experiencing a living death. And everyone was leveled, no matter what their station had been prior to the disease. Everyone was on the same footing as they contacted this horrible life-death sentence. At least it was in that day. In the Old Testament, Moses gave laws on what to do with lepers. For instance, we read in Leviticus 13, The person with such an infectious disease, like leprosy, must wear torn clothes, their hair must be unkept, they must cover the lower part of their face with a mask. Actually, it doesn't say mask, but I thought that would be appropriate. And they have to cry out when they see someone unclean, unclean. How's that for your own personal identity status? In fact, if the wind was blowing, you had to stay 50 yards away from other people. Uh, what is that? The, the end of our parking lot to the front of the building. It was a situation where indeed not only did you feel bad physically, but socially you were an outcast. You were cast out, you were cut off from your family, and you were quickly dying inch by inch as this particular disease would sometimes take fingers and hands and places of the face. I find it interesting that, uh, indeed, they were following proper protocol when the Scripture says in verse 12, they stood at a distance and they called out with a loud voice. Now, the distance was required of them how appropriate it is again to think of the distance that we must keep from one another. But this was a totally different thing. But what is shocking to me is that they cried out with a loud voice because leprosy begins to affect the vocal cords so that you can barely speak with a whisper. But desperation does some amazing things. And in desperation, they cried out with a loud voice, and it wasn't but one, but all ten. It sounds rather neat and tidy in the Scriptures. They cried out with a loud voice, Jesus have pity, but I think it was all ten speaking at the same time, trying to outdo each other, and they got the attention of the Lord Jesus. They all had the same disease, and secondly, they all cried out to Jesus for help. Now, we have no idea to know what their experience was with the Lord Jesus. We have no idea to know whether they had knowledge of him or not. We can only suspect that they must have heard of his reputation. That the stories of his miraculous power had filtered down even to the lepers' camp outside, because that's where they had to live. Cut off from society, they had to live outside of every village, every city, every family group. Maybe they heard once Jesus teaching. Maybe maybe they heard him say, Come unto me, all you who are weary and carry a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. They probably debated among themselves. What do you think? That's not for us, that's for normal people. Well, I don't care. This is our only chance. Some of us won't live through the week. Perhaps he could. Perhaps he could. The prayer of desperation seems to contain a glimmer of hope. Jesus. Master is the term they use. Chief commander. The one who is over the world and the one who is over disease. And the one sent by God to deliver his people. Master, have mercy. There's amazing recognition in all of that. To recognize their own need and to recognize the one that they're crying out to. That's really the basis of real prayer. And Jesus heard them and then he saw them and he cared for them and he sent them. To the priest, which is exactly what Leviticus 13 and 14 tells you to do. You say, I thought the ceremonial law law was done with. Not yet. The veil has not been rent in two. Jesus had great respect for the law. He didn't come to abandon it and cast it to the side, but to fulfill it. And he had not yet died, and so they were still under that ceremonial law. Go to the priest, said Jesus. Show yourself to the priest. Think about that. In the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Kings, there was a commander in an army named Naaman who had leprosy. And he was told of the mighty power of the prophet, and he came to Israel, and it was the prophet who gave him a simple task. I I want you to go to the river and dip in it seven times, and when you do, you will be healed. But he was too good for that until the leprosy got too bad. And out of desperation, he went. There was a process involved. When Jesus healed the blind man, he he made uh, some mud, a compact from mud and saliva, and put it on the person's eyes. And, And if the first step wasn't enough, he did it again. These are amazing things that Jesus sometimes uses a process, but there's no process here. A simple command, go, show yourself to the priest didn't say you'd be healed, but they knew the temple was a forbidden place. They can't just waltz into the temple. They would have been kept out by the guards. Maybe this means there's hope for us. And the Scripture says that they went. Oh, if we could see our souls as they saw their bodies decaying and in great need. That's where prayer begins. We do not pray because we don't have a sense of sin. We don't pray like we should because we don't have a sense of need. And We don't pray like we should because we don't have a sense of who Jesus really is. And when you put all that together, it totally transforms the way we pray. So this is remarkable, exemplary. They all had the same disease. They all cry out to Jesus for help. And they were all healed by obeying his command. Notice the scripture clearly. As they went, they were healed. There was in the word of Jesus the healing power and simple obedience. Should we not say faith? Simple obedience in the word of God brought immediate healing to them. Now you cannot, cannot take from every story and deduce all kinds of principles from it. In other words, you cannot say, if I pray and simply obey God's word, immediately I will be healed. But Jesus hears our prayer and he says, cast all your care upon me because I care for you. And he's promised to do the healing, but sometimes he uses a process. And it appears that the process he often uses today is something called time that causes us to wait wait upon him in faith oh there's a favorable hint in the words of Christ that if I go and see the priest he will count me clean but before they even got there they were changed how did they know? you could see it again we have no idea to know how far this disease had gone but you've seen the pictures right? And you know the stories. And perhaps someone who had lost a hand suddenly had it back again. Or at least the whiteness had stopped. But they could tell. And they went running off to the priest with tremendous excitement. And who could say that was wrong? In fact, that's what Jesus told them to do. But this story... Contains not only three striking similarities, but three noticeable differences. And the first one is this only one returned to give thanks, right? Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. Now it's not hard for him to use a loud voice because he had been healed. And because he was motivated now by praise. His first cry was desperation. And this cry is gratitude. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a foreigner. A Samaritan. The actual Greek word means one from another nation. And it's used, as I understand it, nowhere else in the New Testament except here. It's not that Jesus was putting him down. It's just that you didn't quite expect this from him and not the others. I'm reminded of Jesus telling his parables to the religious Pharisees and they would not obey. But the people of the street... The tax collectors and the prostitutes and the outcasts and the lepers, they heard him gladly. Why? Because they had a need. But the religious leaders, we're not sick. And we don't like what you're saying. Preachers can preach until they're blue in the face, but until the Holy Spirit touches your heart with your need, nothing will happen. And until the Holy Spirit allows you to see Jesus, to see him walking by, and to hear his voice, and give you power and faith to obey his command, nothing will happen. This guy was a Samaritan. And Jesus asks, We're not 10 cleansed, where are the other nine? Why didn't they come back? Again, I think in the excitement of the moment, you you are so enamored with the gift that you often forget the giver, right? So enjoyed and enraptured with the change that you forget the one who produced it. I mean, that's natural. You, you can hardly look down on these people for that. And maybe they were just so excited to get to the priest, now that they've been cleansed, to hear the priest say, you're okay, they can now enter back into society, see their loved ones, hug their wife, kiss their kids. I get that. Or maybe they said, you know what? I'm going to go back there and thank that prophet. Later. I'll do it. Oh, I'm going to do it. I've got it written down on my day planner. It's on my phone. I won't miss it. It's dated. I'll say thanks. But some things are more important than other things. Your relationship with God is more important than your relationship with anyone else. And this foreigner got it. Literally, this could be translated, were there not nine? Where are they? Where are the nine? One scholar put it this way. This guy is a foreigner. The others are my children. Where are they? Should they not be coming back? Where are my children? It's amazing when you read John's Gospel in chapter 1, and it talks about the Word coming into the world. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He created all things. Nothing was made except what He made. He came unto His own, and His own rejected Him. But to as many as received Him, Jew or Gentile, They have the right to be called the children of God because they were born not of the will of man, not of the flesh, but the will of God. And so what what it seems to me is that these guys... Should have been so grateful for the providence of God that brought Jesus their way. So grateful for the love of Christ that saw their need. And so grateful for his wonderful words of mercy to send them on their way and touch their soul with his power. They should have been so grateful that that should have dominated their thoughts. But something else is more important. We're commanded in Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, and his love endures forever. In fact, I think that's repeated multiple times. It's like a chorus in Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Do you hate it when choruses are repeated? That's, that's a trick. That's not a fair question. Because after 20 times, you know, it gets me too. Except when I read the scripture, like in Psalm 136, and the chorus is repeated 26 times. There's a purpose for that. Apparently 35 don't get in the mind until the 36th one. We need to hear it over and over. Give thanks to the Lord. Reason for he is good. Oh that everyone would give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. And his wonderful deeds. Toward the children of men. That's actually the chorus. That's actually the verse. Verse 8 that's repeated four times. How rare. It is for people to be characterized by thanksgiving. Far more people receive blessings than those who return praise. We are more apt to ask for something we don't have than to thank God for something we already possess. And we owe such a deep gratitude to God our Father. There's an old Bible teacher who was the Bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle. And I love his writings. They're a bit archaic in places, but boy, he gets to the heart of things. And writing upon this story, J.C. Ryle says, Thankfulness is a flower which will never bloom well except for a deep root of humility. It is the person who daily feels their debt to grace and daily remembers that they really deserve nothing but hell. This is the person who will be daily praising and blessing God. Only one returned to give thanks. And only one humbled himself before the Lord Jesus. The weight of divine grace should bow us every day. The abundance of God's goodness should force us to our knees and humble our hearts. A proud Christian is an oxymoron. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. They were all humble before their cleansing. And now one is truly humble after. He must see Jesus. He must see Jesus. And when hearts are truly touched by the Spirit of God, a conviction of sin, and a hope of forgiveness, you can't hold them back from finding Christ. And when truly saved, you can't hold them back from praise. But where are my children? How come Christians aren't at the vanguard of gratitude in our world today? How come our world doesn't say something like, I don't believe what they do, but I can't deny they are grateful, humble people? Do you hear that? Is that said very often? This guy was humble. And there is one third difference, only one returned to give thanks, only one humbled himself before Jesus, and only one was completely healed. You say, what do you mean by that? Almost every time in the scripture where there's physical healing, there's spiritual healing as well, almost every time, this appears to be an exception. Now I hope that the other nine once cleared by the priest, found Jesus and gave him praise. I hope that happens. There's no record that it did. But this guy was completely healed. There's a higher sense of healing than merely cleansing a physical problem, right? Praise God for the miracles when he heals us physically. But praise God for the miracle when he heals us spiritually. Spiritually. And instead of going to the priest in the temple, this guy becomes a priest by bowing before Jesus and laying down a spiritual sacrifice. You say, what is the spiritual sacrifice? Hebrews 13 and verse 15 tells us the kind of sacrifices that you and I need to be giving. Therefore, by him, that is by Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of our lips Giving thanks to his name. In the new covenant, we don't bring forth animal sacrifices. Jesus died once to atone for our sin. And no more further sacrifice needs to be made. But a fellowship offering, a spiritual sacrifice, is where we lay down before the Lord in humility and give him praise. The Samaritan's nine friends were declared clean by the priest, but the Samaritan was declared saved by the Son of God. And it doesn't get any better than that. And when your heart is touched by the delivering grace of God, you just can't forget. Thankfulness The thankful spirit is the atmosphere of heaven. The spirit of gratitude is the key to happiness on earth. And without it, we fend for ourselves and often fall prey to discouragement and depression and fear because apparently our God is not great enough to heal our deepest need. Or we're not trusting trusting in Him to do so. the saving grace, the delivering grace of God should create gratitude in our hearts every day we live. There's a wonderful story that was told by Paul Harvey. Remember that guy? And the rest of the story? He says there... Says it was gratitude that prompted the old man to visit the broken-down pier, uh, uh, broken-down pier in Florida, on the eastern seacoast. He was a bit bent down, white hair, bushy eyebrows, and he carried a bucket of shrimp every evening to the shore. And there he would feed the seagulls, the shrimp. Which seemed odd to most people until they realized that back in 1942, this man was on a B-17. And they were flying in the South Pacific, and somewhere the pilot got disoriented, and the radio didn't connect to land, and they were dangerously low on fuel, and they had to ditch the plane in the sea. Everyone survived. They're on multiple rafts, the captain and seven of the crew. They run those rafts for almost a month. They were fighting off the sharks that would circle around their rafts. The largest raft was nine by five. The biggest shark was over 10 feet. And in eight days, they had finished all of their rations. Now the greatest enemy was starvation. This one old man who was not flying that day but was a pilot involved with all of the others in a service, a worship service. The captain read from scripture and they prayed a prayer of deliverance and then sang a song of praise. And then the heat was so bad that this old man put a hat over his eyes and dozed off. What they needed was a miracle. That's exactly what happened. A seagull landed on his head. Hundreds of miles from land. And it just sat there. Everyone else saw it. And he was afraid to move. To scare it. This is food, if we can just get it. And they got it. They ate the meat, used the intestines for bait, caught more fish, and were rescued. And so just to say thanks, this guy knew that the deliverance came from God, but just to express his gratitude, every day you could see this white-haired man slightly bent over walking to this lonely seacoast with a bucket of shrimp to feed the seagulls. And as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story is, this was Eddie Rickenbacker, the famous pilot from World War I who was given the Congressional Medal of Honor and now was an advisor in World War II. And he was quick to say, I simply want to thank God every day for delivering us. Where are my children who say, thanks for saving my soul. Thanks for making me whole. Thanks for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich, so free. Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts in gratitude and at the same time feel in our hearts the conviction that we don't live in gratitude like we should. For thanksgiving to be truly thanksgiving, we must not only give thanks, we must live thanks. And so, Lord, if there is someone here who has never trusted you, may they hear the words of this wonderful story that Jesus sees and Jesus hears and Jesus cares. The Bible says in other places, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a spiritual promise. It's a real promise. And then for the rest of us who maybe have been saved for a long time and somehow have forgotten to say thank you, change our attitude into daily activity of giving to you the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to your wonderful name let's just continue in prayer for a moment and ask god to speak to your heart